The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome into Fireside Chats. This is episode 16, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. And today on Fireside Chats, we are talking with the person that I trust most in the world with trench play evaluation. He is Brandon Thorne of Establish the Run and the Trench Warfare Podcast. Thorne has been around the best of the best, including his involvement with the yearly OL Mastermind Summit that you may have heard about. And we've also personally known each other for years as we've been connected through our work with the Scouting Academy and our previous workplaces in this business. He's the guy I reach out to when I have a question about specific plays, and I always know he's going to give me a great detailed answer. In fact, we've had Thorne on this feed a few times, and in prep for this show, I actually went back to our pre-draft special before the 2019 NFL Draft, where we were ranking our top offensive tackle prospects. So Before I get to the interview that I had with Brandon, I actually wanted to play back this clip of us talking about Andre Dillard, the prospect, because I thought it was a really good discussion and perhaps give some more context in terms of what we expected his development arc to be in the NFL, his strengths, his weaknesses, what was going to take some time. So let's play that clip from April 22nd, 2019 on the BGN draft special number two for that year. I have some of the same concerns with Andre Dillard from Washington State yes. because, number one, yep. the level of competition. And then, you know, the the Mike Leach scheme, the Washington mm-hmm. State scheme, really is hard for me to kind of pick up on what he's able to do. He's so much of a projection for me. I mean, I, I think I remember the, the best competition that I watched him against was Oregon. And granted, he erased Justin Hollins and Jalen Jelks from that game completely. So that was encouraging to see. But overall, I still do think he's a projection, although I think he's a fantastic mover watching him go through the on-field drills at the combine. He, he looks so smooth. So I think they can he can handle more. And I like the development I saw in his hands to start doing different things. And I, I like him as a prospect, but I'm concerned that there are so many holes in my evaluation just from what I was able to glean from his tape. Dillard is, is really interesting. And um, that's why I have him below these guys. But I still gave like a late first, early second. I think ideally you get him in the 25 to 40 range. He has 18 more starts than Cody Ford, which I like. But but you mentioned the scheme and the level of comp. Those are definite concerns. He's also two years older than all those three guys we mentioned. Right. A little bit of a concern there. Shortest arms of the three guys we mentioned, a little bit of a concern there. Not big things, but you know they, they add up a little bit. 
the scheme that you mentioned, the narrow splits, oh, he's going to have to yeah. adjust to narrow splits because he's in such wide splits right now. That does make things easier because the defensive ends are spread out. They have a further path to the quarterback. He gets his hands on guys quicker that way. He didn't see a lot of wide nine pass rush alignments because everybody's in a three-man front versus Washington's four wide receiver scheme. Yeah, He did see some outside rushes, but primarily guys, you know, it's like five techniques that are rushing against him. That's what pushed him down. Um, but I think I'm a little higher on his actual tape than most guys because I was really, really impressed with his ability to keep his hips square to the line of scrimmage in his pass set. I mean, I, I didn't really see him open up prematurely ever. And part of that is because he is facing those alignments that are closer. So you kind of have to balance that. But I really like the discipline in his hips to not open up that door too too early on guys. And his hand techniques to me, I mean, I've seen some guys that I respect, yeah. you know, say his hands aren't very good, but I don't know, man. I just didn't see it. I thought his hands were <laughs> outstanding. I think they're really good, man. That was one of the things I mentioned as like a positive. And I think they got better in time too. Yeah, you could see it because I, I like to watch tape from the beginning of the season through the end and not really skip right. around. And I did that with him. And I was able to get like, you know, eight or nine tapes in. And it seemed like he got better every week. He was trying new things each week. That's kind of what bumped him up a little bit to me too. Because I, I, I go back to uh, like Garrett Bowles when I evaluated him. Very athletic, older, nasty, which yeah. you know didn't really fit Dillard, but he he had that competitive toughness, that athleticism, and that really like boosted him up for me. I gave him a second round grade, which was you know in retrospect too high, but I overlooked his lack of technique, and you know I haven't made that same mistake really since. I learned from <laughs> that, uh, especially with the way today's NFL is. I mean, offensive lineman, and your technique should be at a certain level initially because it's not like you're going to get a ton of technique coaching yeah. that kind of gave me some comfort with Dillard because it's like okay this guy is pretty well coached it seems like and he has an array of hand techniques to utilize here he's not just out there being an athlete that that made me a little more comfortable but play strength gap scheme that's a concern for sure he's scheme dependent in my opinion you want him in his own scheme so there's a lot to take in with this guy i mean you know there's <laughs> you have to paint the full picture with dillard i think because there's yeah. a lot of variables here to play with so i totally get guys that are a little lower on him for the reason reasons we mentioned and maybe a little higher for the reasons we mentioned i try to find that middle ground and hmm. yeah 25 to 40 would be ideal but doubtful that's going to happen yeah exactly i think the nfl is going to take him a lot higher but uh, you yeah. have a point in there i kind of want to talk about because yeah. fit is so important for these guys oh, yeah. and the coaching they receive in the NFL isn't always like that coach them up style that's why like you know with the Eagles it, it depends on where they go what coach are they landing with that's so important in this process it's something that we don't know right now with the Eagles they have Jeff Stoutland Jeff Stoutland's been coaching offensive linemen in college since you know 1988 when he was uh, the offensive coordinator at, at Southern Connecticut and then Cornell he was the offensive line coach was the offensive line coach all the way up to his move to Alabama till through 2012 so he has that heavy coaching up type background at the college level where you're developing guys and I think that's really helped him in his transition to the pros and if Dillard can land with a guy like that would would you be more comfortable with taking him a little bit higher than than what you think he, where where you think he should go oh yeah there's there's probably a half dozen maybe 10 guys like that offensive line coaches that you want every offensive line to go to offensive <laughs> linemen you know like Eagles yeah. uh, Aaron Cromer in LA of yeah. course, Munchak, of course, Skarnekia, Callahan. Mm. You want an offensive line coach who has a track record of developing guys and making guys better. 
And there's, there's not a ton of those guys right now. So fit is everything. I mean, ideally want a guy to go to a situation like that because it could make all the difference in the world because they could, you know, they could gain confidence quicker. And if he goes to an offensive line coach who doesn't really have that ability to shore up his technique quickly, then confidence can get down and development can slow. And then next thing you know, we're three years in and we're still waiting. Yeah, I, I really think that's huge. And now we're back live, and with that as the setup, now we're going to talk with Thorne in the present, and we'll discuss the OL and DL rankings that he had for EstablishTheRun.com recently to see how the Eagles stack up against the league in 2020. Lots of great detail in this puppy, so let's go to that conversation right now. Brandon, welcome back to BGN. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Happy to be here. So let the listeners know how to follow you on social media, where to find your work. Like, plug all your stuff, dude. Go crazy. All right, yeah. So at Brandon Thorne NFL on Twitter. That's the same for Instagram as well. I got a page that's pretty new over there where I'm doing a lot of the same stuff, a lot of video stuff. Um, and yeah, establishtherun.com is where I do all my writing right now. And then also check out the scout scouting Academy. I do a lot of their video content and some other stuff. So that's, that's pretty much it for now, man. Yeah. You've been putting out some great work and you know, Brandon, every time I thought I had the topic for this show, you'd put out some more content that I would love to talk about. So hopefully we can touch on a range of topics today. And just in case we don't, uh, for the gentle listener, I'm talking about the two big rankings for EstablishTheRun.com that Brandon did, which ranks the offensive lines and defensive lines for each team around the league stacked up against each each other also in a twitter thread or on twitter brandon is tiering all of the different individual offensive linemen by position and i always look forward to those because i want to see how close i am personally and make sure that i'm not sleeping on anybody let's start with where the eagles rank against the rest of the nfl with their offensive line though seeing as that's more of a question mark than it's been for them in recent years they return four or five starters in a way And the questions are Jason Peters transitioning from right guard and Andre Dillard getting the start at left tackle in his sophomore campaign. With that factored in, just from an overall view, where do do the Eagles check in against the rest of the league? So there's going to be a drop there, you know, obviously for a couple of different reasons, but I still think that they're in the top half of the NFL. And right now I have them at 12th overall. Mm. Uh, That's in the solid tier. Uh, that's tier three. Yeah, man. I mean, I think they're going to be exactly that, uh, a solid offensive line, or at least I think they have a very good chance of being that. Um, you know, I think that Peters, even though it's pretty unprecedented what's happening here, him moving inside to the other side as well. I mean, it's going to be difficult. But, you know, I mean, if I go back over the course of the last 10, 15 years or so, if you if you give me one left tackle at 38 years old who could possibly do this, I think Peters were, might be the first or second choice. You know, I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it's probably him, you know, and it, at least come in and be serviceable. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, in the schedule when he goes against a guy like even, I mean, right off the bat, you know, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, and then Aaron Donald's coming, then he has Gino and DJ Reader, and then he's going to see Armstead and um, Kim Law. So, I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're going to find out pretty quick how he's going to hold up. But, you know, I, I'm excited to see it, and I expect him to be at least serviceable there. So, the really, the biggest thing is just his health. You know, I mean, I just don't know how long it's going to last. 
but while he's playing there, I think he'll be he'll be you know you, you can win games uh, with him at right guard. And then the biggest question mark to me is still left tackle with Andre Dillard. Man, I mean, you know, it seems we're all over the place on him. After you know, it seems like everybody was almost consensus believing he was the top tackle in the draft. I, I wasn't right. as high on him there. I, I had him as the third or the fourth tackle. Uh, in the draft, but I still felt like a late first, early second was probably best for him because I thought he needed some time um, for a couple different reasons, you know, adjusting to the level of competition uh, I thought was major. Um, and then he also, he needed just to work on his body a little bit, you know, get stronger, uh, you know, gain more functional strength and work on a little bit of technique transitioning to his anchor. And, you know, last year he comes in unexpectedly, where he really, the first time he gets a, you know, a chunk of playing time, he sees Everson Griffin opposite, opposite him, and he might be the, <laughs> the best speed to power pass rusher we have in the game. Uh, so that was a tough, tough test, and he got exposed a little bit. No surprise whatsoever. Um, and then, you know, he had to move over to the right side a little bit later, and, you know, it just kind of fell apart, and he just, he didn't look ready. But I still think that there's enough there. As long as his confidence is right and things like that, and he's right mentally, I still think he has all the tools, the traits uh, to, to develop here and, and be a solid player, you know, and hopefully very good one day. But um, I think he's going to take some lumps early on, man. And, you know, Eagles fans, you know, I, I said this in my article, I think, or I said it somewhere else where I think in my podcast where it's like, I hope they can just have a little bit of patience. You know, I know that sounds funny to say with Philly fans, but because um, really there's no, I mean, I, I guess there is a better option maybe with Peters there, but for the long-term sake of the franchise, I think that being patient with him is probably smart because uh, you don't want to kind of overlook him too soon. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I want to stick with Dillard here before we go back to Peters, but we recently talked with Ross Tucker about Andre Dillard. And one of the things that he thought would be helpful for Andre Dillard was using his quickness to jump guys more frequently, which would help mitigate his issues with power. And while I do expect Dillard to be stronger this year, and Brandon Brooks had even commented that that in the offseason when he talked about how Dillard didn't have that college body anymore, I think Ross has a good point because this is something we saw Dillard do in college with success. I remember watching a clip of Jeff Stoutland showing a film example of Dillard using what he called the soft shoe technique where he just sits in his stance, cuts off the inside route, and then gets his hands on early on a pass rusher, then just uses his feet to mirror from there without giving that pass rusher the ability to generate power in the lead up to his contact. And in prep for this, I went back to our conversation, me and you, and I played this clip at the beginning of the show for the listeners. I had you on for a draft special where we ranked our offensive tackles coming into the draft. And one thing we talked about was the wide splits that he had in college where he was able to get his hands on guys earlier and that he was going to have a tough adjustment to make with more narrow splits in the NFL with those wider rushers. So with that in mind, are those quick sets something you would think would help Dillard? And overall, how do you think about you know his sophomore outlook? Are, are you you think he could be a solid starter? Yeah, so I, I like that idea a lot, and I think that you know utilizing his strengths, which certainly begin with his athletic ability and quickness, um, I, and I actually really like his hands as well. So I think yeah. you know he has pretty good hand placement and some variety there with things that he can do. So, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of puts the ball in his court a little bit and lets him dictate terms, which I always kind of use that terminology when I talk about offensive line. That's kind of what you would like offensive and most offensive linemen would like to be in that position where they're 
kind of the aggressor, you know, and they kind of have more say in what happens in a rep as opposed to setting to a spot and kind of waiting, you know, and, and, and allowing right. the rusher to kind of, you know, set them up and things like that. So, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, it, it'll help. So, yeah, I mean, I, hopefully they, they allow him to do that a little bit. And as far as his outlook, I mean, I think if they allow him to play for 16 games and he stays healthy, that by the end of the year, you know, last six, eight weeks or so, second half of the year type thing, he could, you know, settle in and become a solid starter, which, you know, I, I think we should preface that by saying solid is really, for me at least, it means average. So when he goes against guys who are very good and elite, he's probably going to lose three, four big reps. I mean, like, I kind of expect that to happen. I mean, right out of the gate, he's going to go against Chase Young. You know, I mean, I expect Chase Young to win that matchup pretty easily. Uh, So, you know what I mean? And then hopefully everybody doesn't just lose their mind and say, oh, this guy sucked, put Peters in, which I – that could very well happen, but I, I hope against that because what's best for him, I think, is just to give him some time because if he's going against Chase Young, which, I mean, Chase Young could be the best pass rusher in the NFL next year. I think that's very realistic. Yeah, I mean, you know, thankfully after that in L.A., he gets a break, you know, a big break. I mean, I don't even know who's going to be rushing the passer against him uh, there. And then Cincinnati, you know, I mean, Dunlap and Hubbard. I mean, that's not Chase Young. And then he gets Bosa. So, those that those first four weeks, man, we're going to learn a lot about Dillard. Talking about Dillard, and, and it's funny that you mentioned like, okay, don't freak out if he gets beat like week one. And we'll talk about Siamalu later, but like that was what kind of happened to him. He got beat up by Grady Jarrett in week two. Everybody freaked out, said he sucked, and then he was just solid for the rest of the year, at least in my opinion. We'll get into your thoughts on that. But going going back to Peters, we've talked a ton about the move. For Peters, but I wanted to highlight one aspect of it in particular. So, on the positive side, him working with Lane Johnson should should help that move a ton in terms of their relationship and the communication required at that spot. He's also a step closer to Jason Kelsey. I don't see them having many issues from a mental or communication perspective. On the negative side, and you mentioned you know his age, his injury history. I fear the risk of re-injury is even higher with his position change because the biomechanics are different. And he has to pull that off without overcompensating while still playing balanced, which if he doesn't, I feel could lead to some real strain on his body. Are you seeing those same two sides of the coin that way, Brandon? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the biggest thing. When guys change sides, it changes the whole dynamic of how they're moving from start to finish, you know, and they have to utilize a totally different side of their body as the, you know, as the dominant side as opposed to so like you know if you move left to right or right to left your weak side becomes your dominant side and then vice versa so there is going to be that kind of transition period that's needed i mean i think it's either going to go really well or really bad and um <laughs> i don't really think there's any you know middle ground here and i lean towards it going really well and you know assuming he's healthy of course I, that's the biggest thing to me is the health thing like how his body adjusts to it and then how he's able to stay healthy and things like that but I mean, in a sense, it's going to be easier for him because he's not going to be on an island and right. he's going to be protected by two elite players. So that to me is is really kind of bolstering my opinion of this is the fact that he's in between Kelsey and Johnson. Uh, that's huge. And and then Peter's just his skill set as a player, I think, fits very well inside. I mean, he's very strong. He, he has very good hands. 
Um, and those two things, he's very smart. He's going to be able to see things quickly and he's going to be one step ahead of the curve. You know what I mean? In terms of blitz concepts and stunts and line games. So that is half the battle really. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see it and I, I lean towards it going really well, assuming his body can hold up. So yeah, that's kind of how I see it. Point Blake question here in regard to left guard Isaac CML. I already talked about, you know, the thing with, with Grady and how he got beat up and the fans kind of gave up on him. And then I thought he put on a solid performance for the rest of the season. Overall, do you think like maybe he's a little underappreciated? Because I just think he's he's a solid, you mentioned solid, you know, being the word average. I think he's an average guard, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially for the cost in which you know they have him at. I, I think he's a perfectly serviceable guy. What about you? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. He's that's exactly how I see him. I had him. I just did my tier stuff for offensive line. I had him in tier four, which is solid. And I think the arrow's pointing up, man. I think he he has a chance to be in tier three and be an above average guard. Um, I think. I mean. And part of the reason I say that is because last year was his first year starting uh, all 16 games. Uh, prior to that, you know, he had started four, two, and nine. So, I mean, the first year that he's actually full-time out there and available. As a guard, too, because he was getting a lot of tackle work, yeah. Yeah, early on, the first couple of years, yep. So, um, yeah, man, I, I think that the arrow is pointed up for him, and he's already at a place where he's definitely solid, and he's well-rounded, too. You know, he doesn't have, like, a glaring weakness and a – and a major strength that is kind of some guys who are solid have a major strength and kind of a glaring weakness and it kind of evens out in, in the solid range. But I think he is just kind of solid across the board. Um, and, you know, with with his age, with his relative inexperience and assuming he's going to gain more of it, um, I think that there's there's a lot to like there. Um, and I think that you could definitely win with him. And, yeah, I, I expect him to get better with time. We are both lovers of Jason Kelsey. He's been pretty banged up over the past couple of years, but hasn't really missed time. He's toughed it out. Have you seen him take a step back at all when you watch him on film? Is that possibly because of the injuries? Is he slowing down at all? Because when I watch him, and I, I just I still think like he is the the centerpiece of that offense, the catalyst of that offense that makes everything go with his athleticism and his, his technique is wonderful. What do you what do you think about Kelsey coming into this year? Yeah, man. I mean, I think the injuries, you certainly can see it on film where he doesn't have the same level of, I think, I guess it's base and lower body strength and even mm. just just the functional strength, I think, and power uh, isn't quite at his peak level, um, but it's still good. And I still think he's an elite player overall. Um, I expect him to be elite this year. That's why I had him you know, in that tier, even though, you know, you could maybe say he was very good the last year or so, as opposed to being elite, I still yeah. lean towards the elite tier with him because when he's healthy, I, I still think the things that he offers in the run game are special that they're kind of unmatched. I mean, maybe Mitch Morse can match some of that. Um, as far as pulling and leading in the run game, Ryan Kelly's good at that as well. A couple other guys, but um, so that makes him unique still. I still think he has that athletic ability there. And uh, he's so quick to process things, man. And he keeps things together on the inside. Like you mentioned, he's just kind of that rock in the middle still to me. And um, I, I need to see more of a drop off before I, you know, regard him as any less than elite. Even with a line with as many questions or more questions than the Eagles have had in recent years, they still, if I'm reading your tiers right, have two elite players and the other one 
along with Jason Kelsey, is Lane Johnson. I mean, the guy's a stud. He gets paid last year. He deserved every single penny of it. We saw what the line looked out uh, looked like without him last year, and it was almost disastrous. Uh, so having Lane there at right tackle is just like you plug him. You know, he's, he's fire and forget. He's amazing. Uh, what, what did you think about his 2019 film and how he projects into 2020? I mean, I mean, pretty much more of the same, right? Yeah, exactly. I think he's he's just gonna keep this level of play for the next few years. I think he's. Maybe in the second half of his prime at this point, uh, but you know, mm. I still think there's a few years of that left, probably two or three of, of like really, really high level stuff. Um, that's what I expect at least. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, he's, he's such a unique right tackle too, because he's, he's clearly like the biggest freak at the position in the NFL. I mean, Brian O'Neill's kind of freaky, um, but he's not as refined as Lane Johnson. But I mean, as far as, you know, just the refinement and the athletic ability and the play speed um, that he plays with, I mean, just coming out of his stance and everything, he could beat pretty much almost every every pass rusher in the league to the spot or at least match, you know, speed rushers. And then he also, you know, has that really good technique where he comes up and under a guy, you know, a double under technique, basically, where he gets under guys and lifts them up to halt the bull rush. Uh, you know, you saw there's a rep last year versus Ryan Kerrigan where he did that to him and just put him on his back. Um, you know, I mean, like he he just does special stuff and I think he's pretty consistent. You know, the only rep where he glaringly lost last year was I think it was Sunday or Monday night against D-Law when he got him with that nasty cross chop. But like, you know, that's elite versus elite, in my opinion. Right. You know, it's like that stuff happens. That's what makes it great. Yeah. I mean, he you know, he beats most competition handily and then. When he goes against elite guys, you know, I think he wins, you know, more often than not for the most part. So, yeah, he's he's the best player on the line, you know, right now. Uh, so, yeah, he, he's the most valuable piece. And he kind of he's kind of what keeps everything together, you know, at this point, I think more even maybe a little bit more so than Kelsey in some ways. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L. V-A-N-29.com. Switching sides to the defensive side of the ball, Javon Hargrave was a big addition for the Eagles, the defensive tackle this year. And it wasn't something that I expected just because of the price I knew he was going to fetch on the market. Like this guy from a national perspective 
super slept on, and you could tell the reaction from Eagles fans when he got signed. I mean, the guy is not just a nose tackle. The guy is not just a run stuffer. He's got the full skill set, kind of line at the three tech. Like, I mean, and I've got the Twitter receipts that show that I've been a big believer in this guy. I know you're a fan too. Yeah. Tell the audience what they're getting with a tank of a human like Hargrave. Dude, I love Hargrave, man. I, I still remember. Yeah. I don't know. Were you at the Senior Bowl when he came there? I don't know if you were. I wasn't, but I watched him and I, f- I fell in love with him. Yeah. 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 He just showed up in the middle of the week. I mean, he just dominated right away. But yeah, ever since then, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to pay attention to this guy. And yeah, man, I mean, in Pittsburgh, he was one of the more underrated guys for the last, really since 2017, when I really started watching him closely. I thought he was very underrated. And then the last couple of years, he's only gotten better. So yeah, man, he, he's a unique guy uh, in a lot of ways. He, you know, he's about six foot tall and he has just this giant lower half. Um, so he's just, he, he had great net natural leverage. So he's very difficult for guys to get underneath of. And then he's outstandingly quick off the ball. So you pair those two things together. He's a very tough guy to just block all game long. Um, and then on top of that, I think he's a really good pass rusher as well, man. I mean, he, you know, I think his best spot is a three tech uh, alignment and, yep. you know, in the, the nickel dime looks, which, you know, I mean, four man pass rushers, man, with him and Cox. I mean, and then you have Malik Jackson. Uh, th- yeah. This is the best interior defensive line in the NFL, uh, I think. Um, and then you have Ridgeway as a fourth option. I mean, it's it's insane. I really like Ridgeway. What about what about you? I think I think I, th- I really like Ridgeway and I like yeah, the dude. trade for him. He's he's young. He couldn't crack the lineup in the Colts. He comes here, he impresses. He gets injured, but he really flashed a lot, and I think he's a really valuable depth piece. Oh man, he's I mean one of the best fourth options, if not the best fourth option I can think of in the NFL on the interior. Uh, yeah, he I mean just his his like rocked up build and he's explosive, man. Um, like with his hands, he has a lot of power in his hands. Um, I think he's just a really great guy to have, you know, as a depth piece. So he, he's underrated. I made, made sure to mention mention him in my article as well. So that's where it starts for them is that interior pass rush. I can't wait to watch it and just see how I want to see them try to get all three of those guys on the field at the same time. You know, Jackson, Cox and Hargrave and maybe keep Graham out there. Uh, but yeah, and then, on you know, at the ends, um, I think they're solid yet unspectacular. That's kind of the way I word it. Um, Brandon Graham, man, I mean, is perennially underrated. Uh, you know, a guy who plays, he, he might be better inside than outside, but he's just, he, he's a great player, I think. Um, and then Barnett, Sweat, and Avery. Uh, I mean, this is a deep uh, pass rush with a lot of weapons and the best interior group in the league. So I'm expecting big things. I have them um, in tier, the top of tier two as the sixth overall defensive line for pass rush in the NFL. When you watch Derek Barnett and it, uh, each year just feels like a big year for him to kind of prove it and show that he is, he is taking the next step in his development. And it's been an ongoing thing, unfortunately. And, you know, health has kind of set him back in a couple of those years, but he's got plenty of experience going from college and, you know, started over 36 games there at Tennessee. What, what do you see with Barnett? Because me personally, I don't think his he's ever been able to develop the inside counter to help the speed rush go and the athleticism isn't enough to really make the speed rush threatening and, and I think that hurts him do you think he's solid uh, above average where are you at with, with Barnett when you watched him I would probably have him in like the solid range at best you know I, he has some below average stuff and 
you know, maybe some above average stuff, certainly in the run game and just the the way he's able to set the edge and things like that and yeah. his pursuit. And, you know, I, I like him in that regard. But I, I think you described him perfectly as a pass rusher. I couldn't agree more. I, I think he really needs an inside move. You know, he, he has to have whether it's I don't know if it's spin necessarily because you need more speed for that usually to really work. Um, but even if it's, you know, an inside club swim, club rip, um, you know, any sort of hand stuff more with the hands. Yeah. For him, yeah. yeah. Like just he needs a little bit more refinement with with his hands, because when you're a guy like that who doesn't have very good or elite, you know, snap quickness and ability to stress the pass set of, a, you know, especially a good or better pass blocker, then you're going to have to be very, very refined. You're going to have to be have to be like be like a Tomba Ali or something like, you know, somebody like that. Not you have to get to that level. That guy's like a, you know, a martial artist out there, but you, you, you need to be kind of in that mold. If you're like, if you're physically like a guy like Barnett is. So we haven't seen it yet. I don't know if we will. Um, you know, it is, I think important, at least as a pro last year, he played 14 games and the prior year six and the prior year, he didn't start any, but even though I know he, the snap count, you know, he had a good amount of snaps and stuff like that, at least in 17. Um, but, you know, last year was really the first year where he was able to start more than 10 game games. Um, so I would you would think uh, being a guy at his age, you know, I know he's not the youngest guy, but he's young enough to where and inexperienced enough to where you would think that there's still um, some ceiling that he has that he hasn't reached yet. So, I mean, I, I don't see him ever being more than above average. Uh, but above average would would take this defensive line to another level, um, even you know for what they are already being very good. So um, yeah, I, I think there's a chance he can get a little bit better, incrementally better, but not a whole lot. You know, it's going to start with his technique though. Let's let's take an overall view, and we'll just kind of go through these guys this this while we have time. But who is your top offensive line in the NFL coming into 2020? It's the Saints. Mm. Man, I just think the way that they're, they've been able to build their offensive line. I mean, I call it in the article a masterclass really at building the line through it's, you know, scouting evaluation and development uh, through coaching. Um, you know, they're all homegrown. They're all first or second, third round picks. Uh, two of them are on rookie deals and both those guys are very good, excellent type players in McCoy and Ramchek. The lowest drafted guy is Teron and he's their best player. The, the amazing thing is they're spending the 26th lowest amount of cap towards the offensive line. Um, and I mean, that's they, robbery. Yeah, dude, it's insane. Um, so they're doing it efficiently as well. You know, they cut Warford this offseason, which was a big surprise. And I, I, from what I've heard, you know, the room, the offensive line room wasn't, you know, crazy about that. But they went out and drafted first-round pick Cesar Ruiz from Michigan, who could play guard and center. From what I've heard, he's going to play center, and they're going to move McCoy to guard. Um, I think McCoy can be a very good guard. Um, so, you know, I'm very high on McCoy. I thought he was, you know, I'm not crazy about moving him, but, you know, the fact that they are, I'm not, like, you know, worried about him. Right. I really liked McCoy, and I really, really liked Ruiz coming out for sure. So they're definitely promising guys along there. Yeah, dude, they, they don't have a weakness, really, assuming McCoy gets back to how he played center at guard, you know, over the first half of the season, which I expect him to, especially, you know, you're going to put him alongside Ramchek and allow them to play out their rookie deals, or at least till they re-sign, that's sick. 
you know, I mean, they don't have a weakness uh, and they're probably the only line in the NFL like that, in my opinion. I think every other line has a weakness. Um, so that's why I have them in their own tier uh, of elite offensive lines. Um, there's other team, other lines that have elite aspects to them, but I don't think that there's one that's as well-rounded as the Saints. So, yeah, and, and the average starting age of the unit is 25 years old. So they're going to be good for a while, man. It's just it's incredible what they've done. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't argue a single point uh, with the uh, on that. I think that the most complete line with with, with zero zero concerns really. What about defensive line? Who is your top pass rushing run stuffing unit in the NFL? Pass rush uh, is the 49ers for me. I just think I mean with Nick Bosa, man, what he did last year. I'm very yeah. hesitant to put young guys who've only done it for one year or sometimes even two in the elite tier of players at their position. But I think without a, without question, Bosa is kind of an anomaly in that regard. He's an elite pass rusher. I mean, just the things that he did last year, he dominated people um, just like in a way that maybe no other pass rusher in the NFL did. Uh, you know, when he was on, especially when D Ford was out there and he was able to get a lot of single um, blocks and, you know, sometimes they would slide the center the opposite direction. If you slide the center the opposite direction to Nick Bosa, you're basically asking for, you know, pressure. Um, and, you know, so I, it really starts with him to me. I think he's just crazy good. Um, and, you know, losing to Forrest Buckner was kind of concerning, but then they, dra- they draft Javon Kinlaw to replace them and they still have Eric Armstead and they still have D Ford. So they have in that those four man looks, I mean, they are, you know, stacked. They have four guys that you got to really worry about. And then that opens up games and it just like, you don't know where to slide and you don't know where to put the tight end or chip the back. And it's just like, they create chaos and they, mm. you know, they're set up really well in terms of how they're coached with um, Chris Kurosek or I don't know if I said that right, but um, he came over last year and he installed more of a wide nine look for the ends. And I think that did a lot, especially for D Ford, um, but because that's kind of where D Ford won in Kansas City. So I think he kind of unleashes them as well. And that's part of my projection as well as kind of the situations that they're put in. I think it are, you know, they really suit the strengths of everybody there. So and they're, you know, a couple of the guys are still ascending. So. Yeah, man, that that to me is the is the best pass rushing defensive line in the league. Are they your overall number one, or is there another team that's so good at, at run stuffing and close enough in pass rushing that they took the top spot? So I only ranked uh, pass rushing defensive lines uh, for the. That's what matters most. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's kind of you know especially because the article was supposed to be geared towards fantasy, so you know who's going to generate the most pressure and you know you know yeah. sacks and all that type of stuff, but. Um, to me, I think probably the next defensive line that has the best case all around might be the Red, not the Redskins, but the Washington football team, should I say? <laughs> DCFC, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, the Washington football team. Uh, I think they may they they might have the best defensive line in the league, man, because their interior they have three guys who are I think very good or better, and Jonathan Allen. Uh, Deron Payne and Matt Ioannidis, Ioannidis. who might be the most underrated defensive lineman in the NFL. Um, And, you know, Ryan Kerrigan, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. I'm not a biggest Sweat fan at all, but, you know, if he's your third pass rusher, then, you know, you're you're sitting really pretty. Uh, You know, I mean, Chase Young, dude, he could do what Bosa did last year and maybe more, which I can't even wrap my mind around what that would look like. 
Um, so I think they have a chance at being the best defensive line overall in the league. That Ohio State defensive line coach, I, I can't think of his name right now, but he's killing it, brother. Yeah. Good on him for turning out some just certified sons. And I, I don't disagree. Like, you take Joey Bosa, then you just make him, like, more freakish, and that's Chase Young. So, I mean, I don't really know what to do with that if, if you're going up against that. So, Brandon, thank you for joining us here again on BGN. I really appreciate the insight. One last time, ma'am, let the listeners know where they can find you, where they can find your work. Yeah, on Twitter, at Brandon Thorne NFL. Same for Instagram. Also, earlier I didn't mention my podcast, Trench Warfare Podcast. I've had on Orlando Brown and Lane Johnson the last couple of weeks. I've had Mitch Schwartz on, Joe Staley, a, a lot of pros that are doing it at a high level. And that's kind of the whole idea of it is to kind of get them on and let them talk and provide insights. So I have some more guests lined up as well that I think people will like. So definitely check that out as well. Love it, man. Thank you for joining me, Brandon. Yeah, anytime. Yeah.